0: What's going on? Thanks for coming and checking out another episode of Happy Hour. Today is a very special one. This is the first ever Happy Hour with no alcohol. We're not actually celebrating Happy Hour, but there's, you know, finally, you were talking about, Sean, you were talking about going on a cleanse earlier this week. I'm kind of doing similar, not not quite as intense, but I did uh, last week was just nonstop networking events, eating terrible food and drinking too much, so trying to get back in good habits today. So no no alcohol in today's episode. But Sean, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, I, I probably should have prepared more for this last night, but I've been trying to get ready for this speech for the wedding. So um, that took up most of my preparation. But there's a, a lot of good topics I wanted to get into today. And I wanted to start um, back on some current events. And I know this one, you, because we talked about this the other day, me and Fernando were talking about the Andrew Tate stuff going on. And I know you're not familiar with who Andrew Tate is, but um, basically he is this guy who has blown up on the internet. A lot of people are calling him the most famous person in the world right now, which is kind of not really accurate. Everyone's going off of Google Trends, you know, so his discover his current discovery is outpacing people like Trump and the Kardashians. That's kind of what they're comparing like the graphs to. But, um, you know, he, he blew up really quick online and he's kind of like a business life mindset coach is where he's funneling people to make the money, but on the podcast and on the, his, all of the places that he's talking on, he just, his whole, his stick is kind of the traditional male conserving, Or preserving traditional values. And really at the end of the day, kind of from my perspective, a lot of the stuff that he talks about, I don't necessarily see as a detrimental effect to society, but a lot of people can clip up some of the stuff that he says in a five hour session. And then it comes off as kind of misogynistic or it gets misinterpreted like his, the way he jokes and some of these, you know, things that he says, it gets misinterpreted. And then basically what happened. Uh, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok—they all completely banned him from being able to put content out on their platforms. He's able to still appear in podcasts and videos and stuff, but he can't have his own channel because they said that he violates the terms that the those platforms have. So the. The problem, maybe,
1: maybe we'll get canceled.
0: Yeah, let's. That's the goal. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if, if we can get big enough to be canceled, we'd we'd be doing something. Um, but what's the thing about it to me? Because the way I looked at it, and I, I know, like I said, I know that you may not know that full. When, when you said you didn't know Andrew Tate, I was kind of surprised because I felt like everyone knows him. But I think it is an age thing. Um, but the the problem to me is if if the terms are so vague to where they can just say, you're not abiding by our terms. So we're going to take your channel down and that's fine. Right. But if people are saying that, that it's not necessarily a violation of freedom of speech because these companies are their own private entities, which I understand, but at the same time, right, there's all these laws against uh, monopolies and regular businesses. So I feel like how, how can, if, Sure, you can go put a podcast out on Rumble or on, on these other websites, but if most of the viewership on online is coming from those platforms I just named that have banned him from there, well, are, are these platforms not monopolized? Is that not a problem that, sure, you can go share your message, but not everyone's going to see it because you have to go somewhere people aren't really hanging out at?
1: Sure. I mean, we always talk about right the difference between having your rights being infringed upon and not... In this situation, we have the open market. We have an open market to be able to produce and create content. And the company that allows us to maintain it has the open market to decide to keep it or not. You know, that's the challenge in the kind of the field that we're all in, Mm -hmm. you know, and he creates content that they have a problem with. They can, I guess they, they have the option to remove them. It's not the government you're posting this information with. So it's not like we have, you know, the government directly intervening. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of this has become so political that the ones that are running it may have a certain political angle and they want to, you know, stifle in a certain another political angle. Right. So that, that a lot of that starts bleeding into it and then they no longer become kind of an open marketplace. They become their own socialistic type of environment. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the way it's all starting to shake out. So a lot of these places are looking for other platforms that believe in an open market to allow us to. Share our ideas, and if people listen, it grows our population. If they don't, then they just don't listen, and we don't grow. Yeah, you know, I mean, it kind of allows it to kind of take on its own power and entity.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious too, kind of from your perspective as well, because you have kids, and I'm curious for your kids, like, is that something that you would would you prefer them to be able to see, kind of all all types of content out there so that they can kind of figure out, you know, what resonates most with them given the options and kind of move forward. Or do you like the fact that maybe for a younger demographic, there's going to be a certain type of content that may not be able to be viewed simply because of it's not pushing the agenda that the platforms.
2: No, I mean,
1: I have kids. I control everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You got the parent control. (laughs) I, you know,
1: everything is not, Uh, beneficial and edifying, right? I mean, there's plenty of content that is detrimental to them and that they don't need to be, you know, affiliated with, you know, my kids are young enough. I'm not directly experiencing this where you have teenagers getting iPhones and having Facebook and stuff like that. My kid, my oldest is eight, right? So at eight years old, he has nothing. We take him to school, we bring him back home. We know where he's at 24 seven, but when he gets older, we're absolutely going to have a lot of control over those things. You know, for me knowing what I know about social media, I can't even imagine allowing my kids to get on social media. I mean, yeah. You know, not not that I want to be dictatorial, but I don't th- I think there's enough harm than there is edifying them. You know, I have a neighbor next door to me and they're Catholic and their kids have been homeschooled their entire life. They have all their kids and until they're 18, they get no social media and they've never had it. And they're very close knit. You know, household. I don't know how, if I'm going to maintain that view when they get older, but from my perspective now, there's very little reason I would allow them to have freedom and access to a lot of that information. That's, just, I know a lot of it's not going to be good for them.
0: Yeah. And that's the problem too, right? And I heard, I don't know, I don't remember where I heard this, but some, I heard someone saying, uh, oh, it was, I think it was Andrew Schultz made a joke about this. And he was talking about if you're in China, and you're they allow educational videos to go viral but when in our country you know what are the things that are taking off when you go on tiktok it's stupid dances it's things that aren't very it's it's pop culture stuff yeah but, it,
1: but it, and it's not it's shallow and it doesn't teach you anything
0: yeah and and a lot of them too even you know kind of it, a lot of the popular narratives and things that get pushed to the top are things that, again, and this is, goes back to kind of some of the stuff that Andrew Tate says, but it does, it does to a degree, um, it pushes, I guess, narratives that can be detrimental to the to incentivizing people to want to have families moving forward.
1: Sure. Uh, in, in a lot of cultures, they've delayed that, right? You know, like Japan's got massive problems. They even stopped drinking alcohol. Is such a problem there that they're not drinking it, and that's a big part of their tax base. So now they have national, like, Saki Day really? like, to get everybody to start drinking again because they're not collecting it. It's like
0: it. One, night, one night a year, like the purge.
1: <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's it, they, they collect such a large amount of tax base out of it, and such a large percentage of people have moved away from drinking. You know, and a lot of them aren't even having these deep inner you know, relational, uh, relationships, they're very shallow and they do a lot of shallow type interactions and things like that. And, and that's causing them not to have children. You know, they're having all kinds of strange, consequential things because of this cultural kind of shift for them. You know, it's, I think it's kind of interesting that they have a culture that's they're, they're not having much sex. They're not drinking. They're not even, you know, growing in these relationships. A lot of them are just focused on work and then, um, they're, you know, whatever, already established interpersonal relationships that they have. I, You know, it's fascinating to me. I love the psychology of things. And I think that's kind of interesting the way that they're doing that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think too, it, I guess my last point on this is I, the only thing that I don't like, I guess what I don't like mostly about some of this content being restricted is is when there's only one narrative. And it's not like it's just one narrative. I think that it goes through cycles to where there's maybe a different narrative being told on Media in the early 2000s than the than the narrative that's kind of going on right now, but when there is only it for the time one narrative being allowed to be pushed um, without having to worry about is this video going to get taken down, is my channel going to get deleted, um, it just does not encourage people to have freedom of thought. And you have a lot of I I just you can see it in real life. There it's just a lot of groupthink, and when it comes to voting. <laughs> You know, that's not good. There's a lot of
1: problems with this. You know, as far as what source can I go to to get correct information, right? Where can I go to actually get facts? And And vote wars. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) has like such a political connection to things that they want to have a certain outcome that they're only going to focus on one type of message. You know, I you can't, I mean, I couldn't just go to the government. You know, the government lies about a lot of things and they're not providing any reason that we can trust that whatever they produce is going to be not politically slanted some way, right? Right. And, and and you can go to YouTube and go to the most popular channels that are creating content, but that doesn't make it anymore, right? So then how do you really evaluate, right? You know, like even, I remember the, remember the site Wikipedia, it's, it's a bunch of opinions put together and they kind of shift through it to determine what a unifying, uh, way is, is, is the correct way to approach that particular subject topic, you know, people, places, whatever it is. And it doesn't make it any more right than other things. So we have this problem where there's not really, you know, any type of real truth that we can mm-hmm. go and evaluate. So it, it, it's a mess, right? But I don't, I have a problem like with Facebook, you know, canceling people, but I also say, well, they own, they own all the servers. They own everything. You're not paying for it. Yeah. You know, so why can't they cancel what they don't like? And then if you don't like that, then, you know, you're going to have to find another platform.
0: So and I think that's actually the problem, right? Because and in, in for people like you and I and other people that actually produce like, you know, not just produce videos, but own and operate some sort of process in a, in a business to some level, you know, that you do have that dichotomy of I see this from both the business angle and I also see this from the consumer's angle. So from the consumer angle, right, there's the problem. Now, where we start to understand is from the business angle because there is that bottom line revenue that people have to meet. So if someone's saying something that is going to, you know, worsen the ad revenue because they don't want, these companies don't want to spend their ad, they don't want to have their ads associated with someone like Andrew Tate, you'll call it, right? Sure. So, um that's, it's just, I don't know. That's just the, the problem I guess is I don't think that most con- consumers like one dimensional thinking consumers are thinking that deep about it. And that, that, that's the problem is it just kind of, it encourages the push of that group think, you know?
1: Well, and they're all going to stay on the topics and channels and things they want to read and learn about anyway. And they, right. you know, and unfortunately a lot of them just stay so focused on that. They don't get another side of the story and they only get one angle. And, and, you know, that's just where we are. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it's right or wrong. This is kind of where a lot of this is. So people will come out with, you know, like if you have somebody you want to debate something with, they, they have topping points, but they don't really have a real association with what the real surface issue is. Right. They don't really understand the other side. They only speak from, you know, emotional talking points and there's not really a conversation that, that happens really often. And you get that information from these, these shows and they only, you know, create
0: inflammatory information. So I'm going to ask you because you're, you're a problem solver. If you're, you get, you get an hour to go sit down with Mark Zuckerberg or any of these CEOs of these companies and you could give them three tips of what you think would improve that kind of relationship between having, you know, the freedom of the creative on the, on the producing side for content. What would you, would you have any like nuggets for, for them?
1: Uh, I'm sure (laughs) I always have lots of things I can think about and what makes sense to me, you know, apart from the way things are already created, you know, for these guys, I'm not in that field. I don't spend a lot of time in that field. Um, I use Facebook as a means of delivering a message of my own. Right. But essentially I don't, I don't have it on my phone. Like I don't do much in that specific space, you know, you know, so I'm not as caught up in, You know, the lives of other people and all the things, you know, I I tell you the thing I always think about Facebook is, is no one's really posting a lot of their fights, right? They only post the great things, right? So, and it, and and it's hard to look at life this way because it makes you look at everyone else that they have it together and you don't, it creates such a problem.
0: It's highlight reels.
1: Well, it is, but I mean, it just creates such a misconception of what's really going on. I'm, I'm in, I love the psychological things about, you know, people and things. And I know a hundred percent is not true. I, I know. And we might tell ourselves that, but we still buy into this lie that they have it together and we don't. And a lot of people get consumed by that. I I have a real problem with that. Yeah. You know, is that Mark's fault? You know, probably not because he's making money, right? I mean, he's created a content place, our place for people to create content. And it's a really amazing tool that he created. Yeah. You know, or, or his team or whatever. And and what they've done is amazing. But it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it good for our society, you know. Unfortunately, even if it is such an incredible opportunity that we we can get in there and connect with old friends, and there's a lot of good things. Right. But I feel like overall, if I were to say that particular Facebook in general, I feel like it's more negative than it is positive for society. That's that's my thinking and the way I feel about it. I would do, and things, that's for Facebook. Yeah. For Facebook.
0: Do you feel that way about ever all the other platforms? I, I don't do
1: anything on Instagram or anything else. Okay. Facebook is, I do a lot of things on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn what are some, what are some negative neutral. things
0: that you see? Cause you're going to have, you have obviously a different set of friends than I do. So what are like, what do you see that just,
1: well, I was talking about some of the, the things initially. Right. So we, we always in, and, and people create the content, but they create such a fake, you know, of what they are about life sometimes they'll be transparent and they'll share some things from their heart but a lot of it is we're going to share all the good things and you and you don't get to see the other side that's not relational right we got to have you know bad things and negative things too and something about facebook allows people to continue to focus and 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 keep perpetuating that and i think that's a negative thing for us in general yeah um i don't like that i don't i don't know how to fix that i'm just telling you it's just something that does come up
0: and that specifically i think would be very tough to fix because it's not like they're, Facebook's hand selecting these posts that are going to go viral right they're, they're picking they're, they ha- the algorithm is like oh this so and so went to uh, you know Bali or wherever they go right and the scene the scenes behind them looks good and they're they're looking good in the photo and, and that's that's gonna obviously it's more aesthetically pleasing it's gonna grab people's attention more so than just a selfie in the bathroom. So that's why I think some of those highlight real type posts tend to do better is, is because it is going to be, you know, like a wedding and vacations and a promotion and a new car and a new house that's just going to stand out more than, you know, happy Monday. So
1: well, how about the other side, the, the private information that they resell, you know, in, in their own way, right? They may not directly sell it, but they allow their algorithms they built into their system to take all that information they're collecting, and they can make money on advertisers with specific information about you. How do you feel about that? Um, We are allowing ourselves to do it by accepting their terms.
0: But do you think that's bad? I think it's bad. Okay. But they make money on it. I'm going to play devil's advocate, because (laughs) I've always always looked at this from a very selfish view, right? I'm looking at it like, okay, whoever's collecting this data, and I'm just, I'm probably you know, I'm just an average Joe to them. So it's not like they they can really come out. Like if I'm, if I'm at a certain level of status, I, I would obviously be a little more concerned about it, but just for the general public, it's like, I'm just another number to them, you know? So for a selfish aspect, I'm looking at it. Like I hate getting on Facebook and getting random promotions and having to watch an ad that has no relevance to me. And just, you know, like, like there's been so many cool products that I've discovered because of these Like, and even for our real estate business, like as far as AI tools or CRM stuff Mm -hmm. or things like that, I would have never found some of these products if I didn't, if they didn't have this data on me to push relevant ads. So if I'm looking at it like either way, I'm going to be get hit with ads. I'd rather, I'd rather them be relevant, you know? So that's, that's always been my take. And I mean, uh, the, 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 where it, where I don't like it is when it comes into politics, you know, when they start selling it for, So that politicians can start running ads and and pushing, you know, manipulating that. That makes me a bit more nervous. I'll play on your devil's advocate side, right? I'm a
1: business owner and knowing more information about my audience allows me to post an open house and hit relevant target people incredibly successfully. And by doing that, I'm able to attract and sell my product or service way easier. So there's certainly a benefit from the business side, the ones that are actually paying for these things. Right. You know, and that's, you know, we all have, a lot of us have small businesses and we can benefit from what Facebook's built in. So they've really built in this thing that is really hard to unwind, right? Right. They have all this content and they have all these people's information and it's all worth something. Data is power. I mean, you know, it's something I was taught many years ago. We were doing uh, long public records research stuff and we were collecting all these deeds and stuff. If we had all of it, we would have a monopoly on the entire You know, Texas or whatever region we're in, and be able to sell all that public records research. You know, directly online. This is before it was even online, but we knew that the data we had was power. I know that for them, they can take this random rack of data and make money on it with advertising by allowing them at an inexpensive clip. It's pretty inexpensive to, to advertise on Facebook, yeah, and it generates hits. Yeah, you know, it it lines you up with people ongoing. Like you post a a boost or something on one of yours, you might get a hundred hits on it. You know, direct people relevant to that, that are in that market, that price range and everything. And, and you're able to connect with all of them on something that you have that they want. Right. And it was a real easy thing. And it may only cost you 75 bucks, right. Or a hundred bucks or something. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty clever. I like it from the business side. I just don't think for a society, I don't think it's going to be good long-term. You know, I heard a long time ago, this is back like in the 90s, I used to listen to this guy, and he said, as we increase in technology, we decrease in morality. Like, he firmly believed that's before we had cell phones, before we had anything. He just watched, as technology makes our life easier, we become lazy and fat, right? Yeah, It could be that we just... Uh, become less engaged or less social skills. I mean, think about all the kids right now that grew up on social media. That's their way of meeting, connecting and talking. And that's a weak, weak connection. Yeah. You know, I'm training agents now and uh, in, in getting them to stop texting and emailing offers and, 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 and conversations with the other, you know, competing party, the the, the buyer agent, or the listing agent. And they still want to text and they and they try to negotiate through text. You know we have to learn how to talk to each other and have a conversation so I understand where they're coming from because i've I've told people you're never going to win this house by texting me, and I'll tell them that in my text with them. I'm like, "I've told you to call me, yeah, you're never going to win I, I there's so much that you're missing on how to have this conversation to make this successfully work, and you're trying to do it through a, a method that's not creating any of this dialogue yeah, you know I know it's just a it's a big pet peeve of mine. I get no, on the phone I, with everyone.
0: And I agree with you. I agree with you to a, to a degree. I do think that if you are kind of, if you just are asleep at the wheel and you are that consumer a little bit, like I, I think if you're someone that can kind of be proactive and think for yourself and still maintain that solid level of communication skills with people, and if you look at social media as a tool and, and how it can serve you, obviously it's it's a good thing. That's how you and I met. Well, we have to.
1: I mean, that's where we're at today. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean I like it, but that's my tool and that's what I have to use. Yeah. I just think collecting all this information is create. I mean, you know, the world's going to spin around and it's going to die when it dies. I don't even have a doomsday thought about things. I don't care. You know, God created everything. He'll decide when it all gets destroyed. Right. You know, it happens when it happens. I, I don't I don't really care. I just I'm saying as my perspective, I believe that as we get better at making things easier in our life, it will be consequential to us as people in in collecting information on every person out there and everything they like and not like I can't imagine that can be used for good right I just can't yeah I just think the only it gives you too much power
0: yeah and to I'll, I'll transition out of that um but what to feed on what you said on data is power just for people watching and I'm not I am by no means do your own research, but that's something that I consider when I'm buying stocks is, you know, when you're investing in tech companies, is who has the most data, Meta, Google, Amazon, and to me, I think those are gonna be some of the better companies to invest in long-term. I don't know where you are with stocks. They're not gonna
1: die anytime soon. I, I just don't, I don't like stocks, personally. I invest in real estate. Fair. I like real estate, I make money a lot of ways in real estate, and it's my business. You know, so that's my passion.
0: I'm excited about it. So to talk a little bit about real estate and to combine it with the topic that we just talked about on um, get pushing data to kind of formulate the group's opinion on where the state of the market is. Here's one of my biggest pet peeves is specifically in the real estate industry. You have all of these people who are taking courses on how to use social media to grow your business, which is great. Um, The problem is, is 90% of realtors are out of business in five years. And a lot of the people that are producing this content to their sphere, which their sphere, a lot of times, this is their only source of real estate information. A lot of it is not accurate data. For example, one of the biggest issues, in my opinion, I want your pushback and feedback on this is in my opinion, right? If you look at the back and I've already said this on a podcast before, But if you look at home prices in the 70s and 80s, the price of a home was roughly, it was around $50,000 and interest rates were roughly where they're at now so that monthly payment at the time, if you consider inflation considered, that monthly payment was about $1,000 a month, whereas now and the national average from what I checked last time was roughly 500000 Now, so many people gave me pushback on that saying that that's not true. And they'd say, oh, well, it's $450,000, It's roughly 500000 in the nation. And with that mortgage payment, with today's interest rates, that monthly payment is now about 3, 2800 $3,000 a month. Now, obviously, wages and people aren't making enough money to keep up with being able to afford that type of payment. So that creates an affordability issue. Now, when you get on social media and you see a bunch of these realtors, Ryan Serhant is one that is way too smart to, to be saying something like this. But they'll say things along the lines of, yeah, well, what people don't talk about is when home prices go up, mortgage rates tend to go down a little bit. And then that monthly payment stays roughly the same. It's like, well, then why is right now am I having trouble with so many clients that can't afford houses because that extra additional monthly payment is a huge difference to most people, you know, like, and, and I just think that that's just one example, but there's so many incompetent people that are pushing their opinions, which it's not even an opinion. It's a sales pitch to try to sell people to buy. You can't sell someone that can't afford something. Right. Sure. So if a certain group of people are just unable to purchase something and people continue to push a narrative to people to try to convince them that they can purchase something rather than using social media to go generate new buyers and sellers that can actually afford something, that's something that I'm seeing a lot of right now.
1: I don't. I don't see a lot of that.
0: <laughs>
2: really?
1: But I do see that I I. I, I have my own you know issues with what people post on Facebook for real estate. And I think a lot of the content they post is not relevant to the to the to the people reading it. <clears throat> like they'll post, you know, um, look I just closed a house or look I I mean they're, they're good things, right? I mean it's just showing that you're selling real estate, but if it's not something relevant to your audience and something that's going to specifically help them, then it's not a value to me, right? I use a lot of content that specifically adds value to the, to the audience. And most of it's factual, it's not really opinion-based. I probably should do this is why I'm getting into this. I like to create some opinion-based, you know, opportunities where I can share where I see things are going. You know, and I've been doing this, you know, a long time. I've sold a lot of homes and I can see kind of the way things are playing out and where they're going. You know, comparing from the 70s and 80s to today. I think the the house is gonna absorb more of your monthly budget than it did back then, right? I mean, that's just the way it's always been. And even before that it consumed even less of their monthly budget. But because we can't have introductory new construction that's in a price range where people can afford and then the value of properties have gone up so fast, you know, introductory homes are now gonna be more like manufactured and, and trailers and things like that. You know, where we were a lot of people were able to skip that kind of part of the the purchase cycle. Um, we're going back to it. You know, we're going to go back to, you know, those type of entry-level homes for sure. Yeah. You know, but I, if people put content out there, I, I, it might frustrate you, but I like being a source of opportunity, and I see myself as a source of leveling down the nonsense, right? Yeah. So people are told all kinds of stuff. Every client I talk to, well, I talked to this guy and this is what they said. I said, well, let me bring it down to, you know, what reality is and how we're going to make this work. And what they said isn't going to help you get to the end goal. That's why they haven't done it. I'm going to show you how we're going to get to the end goal. I just had a client just now. He went through four contracts, could not win with another agent. And, you know, they weren't in any type of agreement, but he called me and was like, hey, I'm tired of losing. I said, well, you know, if I work with you, we're going to win. (laughs) That's all there is to it. And I showed him like five houses and we won the house he wanted. Right yes. on the spot, got it done, knocked it out first two hours at it negotiated and we were done. You know, it just, a lot has to do with, you know, some competency and, and how your aptitude is to, to getting it done. And, you know, unfortunately I was talking to a broker um, from Tacoma today, he's selling one of my properties that I flipped up there. Right. And, um, Tacoma, Washington. So I've, I've got it listed everything. And he's like, man, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of dealing with buyer agents that are all like their first Two or three transactions trying to buy one of my houses. And I said, you know, from my standpoint, I feel like more than 80% of the ones that actually come through and bring me a buyer, they happen to find a buyer that's so desperate to buy that I have to go save the deal because that agent's incompetency is going to lose it. Right. And I spent a lot of time solving the problem to get them to move forward and close the deal because there's a lot of agents that get licenses because it sounds like a fun job. Yeah. I mean, you're independent, our 1099, I get to use my own hours, decide what I want to do. I mean, it's a, it sounds amazingly, it's be your own boss, make your own schedule. They forgot when they went to school, they tell you, you don't make any money for six months. It's like, they, they kind of forgot that there's a reality to it. There's only, uh, less than 20% that's making enough money to make it worth it. You know, the other 80%
0: just happen to have a license. Yeah. For sure. And, and yeah, again, my, my thing is, is not necessarily, it's not necessarily the, that people are putting content out it's it's the it's just that there's so much again a lot of people don't think for themselves they just hear someone say something about the real estate market they'll repeat it they're supposed to be the expert they don't do their due diligence to check the data and then they push this reality of the market and it's and then when by the time they come to me i've got to spend more time educating these people because of all the fluff they've heard you know
1: I feel like, I just feel like that's opportunities. I mean, you're right. And I hear you and your, your frustrations from the original content. That's not right. But you know, I like being able when people come, I settle things down and we're going to talk reality. I just, I I like having that because it gives me an instant opportunity for credibility and I don't have to spend weeks figuring out how that can be credible to them. They give me a bad problem or something that's dumb and then I'm going to show them a solution and then all of a sudden everything you know, it, it it gives you an easy, fast track way to gain credibility with them. I just like, I mean, it, it worked, that's how I've always done it. Sure, and it's worked well for me that people get bad information, I can clean it up.
0: Yeah. So now that you're here, and we'll be putting this out as content, what do you see as the current state of the market for someone coming looking to purchase? And say their budget is they got two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollar pre qualification. And let's say they have about fifteen thousand dollars, roughly, to put down. Where are you? What's your advice to them to win an offer? Because they're coming to you, they're going to win. How well, are, how are you going to win it for that, them?
1: That's that's easy because you only got a couple of options, right? I mean, if you're sub three, you're you're going to have a limited supply of opportunity, and that's anywhere in Dallas Fort Worth. So either we're looking at new homes on the outskirts with be with with large uh, builders that have excess cash so that they can offer discounted interest rates. So you can, you can take that $300,000 buyer. Now you can buy a three hundred fifty new build in the right place, right? Because they have buy down options on their interest rates. Uh, that's another topic, but you know, there, that's one strategy. Another one is, um, you know, I can now, you know, I personally, I'm able to do mobile home loans, right? So yeah. we certainly have that. I know you're, 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 you're part of that opportunity as well. So we are able to actually offer that as a solution for a first time home buyer. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll tell you the number one thing I tell all first time home buyers, and this is an educational thing, especially I have real estate agents trying to buy houses, right? And I talked to them. I said, look, if you're buying your first house, I recommend you don't buy for emotional reasons, buy for rental reasons. You know, the moment that you sell your house to buy your next house, you are no longer a real estate investor and you're, and you've lost your money. You make money by maintaining real estate and holding real estate.
0: Now, what about though the first time Maybe not even a first time buyer, but the family that's coming in and they they just they're not even looking at that. They're all this this is our this is our home, our family. yeah, we don't want to think
1: about a rental if if they've got an established family with kids and and they've got, and they can't be making moves like this, this is a one time. I mean my my general thing under three hundred is a real tough market. i mean i'm you know I'm not real optimistic with that, but i can we can run everything and look at what areas are still you know kind of hanging in there. I'll tell you the good news. There, There is a green lining, right? You know, or silver lining in this. That The main thing is that you have plenty of inventory that is sitting. So we're going to be looking at the things that are, you know, 14, 21 days on the market and then offering a price that's going to make it work for them. And we find motivated sellers that are going to give us an opportunity. So we'll look at the 315s, 320s.
0: Do you run into giving people like, because say you get a client that comes in and you're, you're telling them all of this and they maybe aren't absorbing it as you hoped. Um do you eventually have to stop working with someone or I mean cuz cuz that's what I run into a lot of times and it could be because of my age where people don't fully like trust me when I say something but you know I'll I'll tell them like you know this is what we got to do to win these are the areas we got to go to win these are the types of houses and the types of offers we need to make on this type of property to win. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we'll go look at five other houses and then they'll some like sometimes not everyone, but there's sometimes they'll continue to make those same types of offers on the same types of properties and there's losing, losing, losing. And I'm like, if we went my route, we'd have you something, but you, I can't shake that um, kind of vision of what you want.
1: Well, there's a couple of things. One, we we're one of the things as agents is we're tasked with educating, right? I mean, you're talking about giving them what the market looks like, what's realistic on winning. And then you try to win houses that they're not even meeting list price or trying to get a deal because of their budget, whatever it is, you know, and we know that we're making offers that are not going to move forward. Then how do we overcome that with that particular client? Either they take your advice and credibility or they're practicing. Right. Right. (laughs) And I tell people like, you know, I, I generally, a lot of times I'm okay making an offer based on their terms on the first time if they're not quite motivated enough okay i have kind of a general thought in the way i do this if i have someone motivated then i'm going to tell them up front hey you if you're tired of practicing we're going to win a house and they'll say yeah i need a house right now I said okay we're going to win the next one and i and i put it out there in a way that we're going to win this and i and you know i'm working on a book on how to win multiple offers right how to, how to win against competing markets and, and i have ways that i i can make it so we can win if they're not at that place and they're not motivated, remember, I always talk about motivation. I know I haven't talked on this podcast, but I need to know motivation from everyone. If they're just kicking tires and they're not ready to make the move, then they're not ready, you know, then say, Hey, let's take a break. Let's come back next month or whatever, whatever it is that's going to establish that they're going to be motivated enough to move forward.
0: So you know? right, right there though, do you not, and maybe not like for me, I worry that if, I, cause if I tell them I can't, I don't know, it's like, I can't keep showing you this or I can't keep Maybe I don't word it like that, but if I I worry that if I say let's hold off for a month and these people still want to spin their wheels, I feel like the guy that just loosened up the pinata and then someone else might come in in that month and just take them over. And then that's
1: possible, you know. I I deal with I I start with motivation. If they're motivated to move forward, then I allow them to lose the first one. If they're not, then then they're not going to feel the pain.
0: So that second offer, right? They lose the first one. You take them out to the second one and you say, this is the offer we need to make for you to win. You send it out to them and they say, we, they come back. They say, we want to do not this offer. We want to do the offer the way we want to do the offer. Um, how do you, how do you handle that?
1: How many how many houses have you bought and sold personally?
0: No. hope <laughs> oh, that's what you ask them.
1: You know, if you're in the driver's seat and you're the one that's you, moved, you
2: directly
0: ask them that, though? I sometimes do. Okay.
1: Like, you know, are you, are you wanting to, are you looking for a home or a deal, right? There's certain language that we can use when we talk to them, right? If you're just looking for a deal, then this is not the right home for you. You know, and I sometimes have those type of conversation with people to be realistic you know, and and it's no problem. No, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I just tell them, you know, if you're looking for a deal, then this is not going to be it. You know, we need to go look at a beat up or off property that we can put some sweat equity into and create some opportunity. Otherwise you're looking at a house that's ready to move in and you want to have the seller pay you to move in and they're not willing to do that. Yeah, You know, I, 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 every client's different, but that's sometimes there's sometimes a language that we can use that's going to make it relatable to them, you know, without offending them. I mean, I'm not trying to say, you know, you're cheap or, you know, you know, cough up another hundred a month. We'll go. I, you know, I don't have to have that, but you got to understand their motivation. And if I knew that, then I would know what. What we need to talk about in order to make sure they understand what we're offering, and I put things out in very clear terms sometimes, and and they don't always take me up on it. I may say, you know, hey, this house is listed for three hundred. If you come in at two ninety, we're not going to win it, and they still want to offer two ninety. I, I have the same thing. I mean, it does happen.
0: So, and then you still, but you still do the two ninety, and then just uh, see what it does. Or,
1: um, I, I allow them to have that failure on their terms, not on my terms, right? I mean, it's about. You're going to create the problem. You're going to own the problem. So you're going to miss this home because of what you think. Yeah. And then now if you want to win, then this is how we're going to win. And and I've been fortunate. Most of my clients are referrals or people. I'm going to say most of them. 99% of them are people that either know me through someone else or, or they've done business with me before. Right? Yeah. You know, I don't even have business cards. I, I don't have... You know, I only have Facebook and a, and a, and a website just so I showed some level of credibility. I exist, Yeah. you know, beyond that people, I only work with people that I know and that makes a big difference. And I know that's different than working with people you don't know. Right. For sure. I know yeah. that. So they may take my advice way faster than sure. someone they don't know, Yeah. you know, but I've had situations I get referred like the guy I just sold him a house. He lost his last three. I, I didn't know him from anyone. It was a referral from one of my investors. Yeah. I was like, Hey dude, if you want to win a house, call Sean. And so he did, and we connected, and I said, okay, well, let's go out and win a house. And I showed him one crap house, and I didn't know how bad it was, but I just wanted to have something as a point of reference. Yeah. And we looked at it. it didn't work out. I said, okay, great. I know what you need. And then the next day we went out and looked. I gave him five houses, and he liked four of them. And he, he could have made an offer in at least two or three, but he picked one, and we won it. So okay. it, I, I just, I already foreknew where we're going and how we're going to end there. And he was willing just to pay what the seller had to offer. And we just made it work It made it, it was easy. Yeah. You know, well, it's never easy, but I made it work. I'll yeah. just say it that
2: way.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, cool. Yeah. That's, I don't know. That's something I'm struggling with a lot right now because again, for I'm 27, I've been in the business for four and a half, five years and especially kind of switching locations too. Cause I started obviously new Bromble, San Marcos. And then restarted back up here in 2020. So, the majority of what I get is definitely leads, and I have that barrier of okay, I've got to build the trust, and I, it's not, it still won't be to the level of I've known you for five years, ten years, you know. But I've got to build that trust and then get past the age kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I see what you're saying it's I, that should be the goal is to work towards the referral based.
1: You know, for anyone out there, the easiest advice I can give with working with any buyer or seller, you always start with motivation. It makes all the difference. You know, if they're motivated, we're going to make a deal happen. If they're just kicking tires, then we're all practicing. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I, 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 I would give everything and you know, the first one should be free, right? I mean, let's get out, let's meet, let's look and determine if we're really going to make this happen or not. And I'll know at that point. Yeah. And if they're not, then I'm going to hold off. Like, I'm not going to continue to push forward on it. All I'm going to do, you got to stay in front of them. Yeah. I mean, continue to text them opportunities or whatever. You still got to stay in front of them, but I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, be aggressive. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you lose them, you know, it happens. Right. I mean, I might've met someone one time that, you know, way back in the day did open houses, I might've met someone, I show them a house or two, and then they show me the, the signal that they're not ready today. Okay. No problem. And then I just kind of text them over time different opportunities from houses. And I find out they bought a house with someone else. You know, those things do happen. Right. You know, but
0: yeah, I have another question. So um, actually one, of, I won't say the name. One of my mentees reached out this morning and they had been working this lease for somebody. <laughs> and he texts me this morning and goes, Hey man, if my clients don't have a driver's license or a social security card how, you know, can I, can we still get them a a lease? And I know this from experience. And I was like, no, you know, if, if you're willing to take this on, you're going to have to go through every one, like on top of how hard it already, because it's still a bit competitive in the leasing market. People, there's still a lot of renters that are competing.
1: Yeah, I just listed two of them and both of them got numerous applications.
0: So you mix that, that competition especially with the higher home prices where, uh, landlords are definitely looking for more qualified renters. So they're, they can be a little bit more picky. And then you throw in, I've got a client who is, doesn't have, you know, the pretty much the most basic documents that they need in order to, to get a property. Um, like I can't really help them, you know, cause then I have to go through not, we're not just competing. We're having to see if they'd even accept this type of client, right?
1: I, I wouldn't spend a lot of time with that. But what I would tell them is there's usually a way to solve problems still, believe it or not. Why couldn't I tell the, I might find one that's 30 days on the market. They haven't list, leased it yet. Yeah, I would start there. Yeah. And then i call the listing agents. I've got someone that's interested and they can pay the first three months up front.
0: Okay. I mean, a, bit, a bit different from what I told them.
1: Well, I'm just saying I, like, I, if I really wanted to solve a problem, I, I that's the way we could go about it. But for me, investing a lot of time with people that don't even have basic documentation is going to be a tough
0: problem. And that's what I told them too, is like, don't, you know, and especially from my perspective, because the mentees realistically are taking up a lot more time than I had anticipated. Um, And I'm trying to get used to that and be more efficient with it. But I I just, and and I'm willing, like I, I do more than what they ask me to do as a mentor. Like I'm really only supposed to go over the contracts, basic stuff, take the training. But um, obviously it's our goal to make sure that if I'm their mentor, that they succeed in the business. So I want to do, I want to play that part. Like I enjoy it, but at the same time, it's, it's just not worth it for me to do the, you know, spend all this time answering questions on those types of, you know, on that type of problem. Like I, I, I pretty much told them, like, you know, start focus, focus on the buying and selling, you know, like if, if I will send you lease leads and I'll set the appointments go show up to those. That'll be a good kind of side way to make a little bit money, you know, but, but
1: to, I don't do mentor relationships on leases. Yeah. Just so you know, there's no, there's just no margin in it. Even a,
0: let's well, not talk. I was like, I would well, just, even like
1: in my group, anyone that does a lease in my group, they can keep it. Like, I'm not even going to split it. You can take it. Right. And I don't mind coaching, teaching and helping, but you know, they don't need, you know, I, I'm not going to split that. So like for, for that scenario, I, you, you look at to see if it's going if it's a reasonable opportunity then I would I'd say hey they, do they have twenty thousand dollars cash? Yeah, then I'll make a deal happen If they got no money and no verification of who they are, then we need to move forward with someone And, else.
0: and that, oh, so that's actually the, the point I was trying to make was it, what it, it's mindset too because um, I, I felt this same thing when I ran into this problem when I was doing it in the past.
1: let me, let me teach you one twi- trick if he, if he, if he's coming across these types then have them fill out a tar application. Before he even, that's the rule I used to have, right? Before I do leases, I need a TAR application completed, and then I can see that you're legit. Right. And then I can present that to the listing side if they need it, or they can go through Zillow. But at least it, it gives me something that they, I, I usually give homework to people that I don't know are really serious or motivated. Right. So someone calls me and say, I want to buy a house, and I don't know if they're really motivated or not. They just want to buy one. I'll say, okay, well then some of your pre-qualification letter, right? I mean, those are things, if they do a little work, I'll do work. Right. If they do nothing and they're not really motivated, they're just looking for a deal or they just want to go out and look. I had someone want to go out and just look at a house out in like in Rome the other day. So I lined him up with another one of my agents that I'm going to pay him for the show. Shout out Wise County. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, um, you know, I'll set up, I'll set up the showing and I'll and I'll have, I'll pay one of my agents to do the, uh, to do the showing, but they were literally just kicking tires and I said, Hey, I'll do one for free. Yeah. You know, I know you want to see what's out there. You want to buy a second home for your mom or whatever it is. And I, but I, I, we need to be serious if we're going to be doing something.
0: Yeah. And the, the, the mindset problem that again, that he's having and that I had him one point in time that I was trying to kind of get him past was he's like, I just feel bad because they got kicked out they got kicked out of their place basically like it got sold and now they have kids and they don't have a place to live and he's like i feel bad well how did they get qualified for that one
1: you know these are things that i wonder like okay where are you coming from like i had one she lived up in you know gainesville and that they were selling the property she had like a bankruptcy and you know an eviction before that and like a credit of 450 yeah yeah and then she's like, "Oh well, I just need to move because I just got kicked out." I'm like, "Well, I'm not putting you in my house <laughs> unless you got, you know,
0: yeah. triple well, the deposit." And and that's what I was telling them is is you know at some level, and you're right there. There's always a way to solve a problem, and I think it's our responsibility. Well,
1: it's too much work. I mean, well, it's,
0: it's it's our responsibility. Is we're again same way we're talking about. Facebook and YouTube, making that bottom line, we've got to make our bottom line and our problems that we're solving have to be worth that time. And you know, it, what I was telling him was no matter how bad you feel, like there's only so much you can do to help them, you know?
1: Well, let me say this just as a positive, cause that's, it's negative. When we look at clients, we can't help. I, I would say that's like one in 10.
0: Yeah, Now for, where, for
1: sure. Where he's at as a, as a mentee, he might have that one in three. I mean, it just may be that way because that because he's grabbing at everything, right? You know, oh, he said he was thinking about a house next year. I'll just go show him today, right? I mean, yeah. he, he's they grab at everything, but you know, and that's
0: do you, that's the right thing to do, right? At the, at that stage,
1: it's like say you're not you can't help them at this one or no.
0: I'm just saying grabbing everything, like
1: oh for sure, yeah. You got to have at bats, right? I mean, for sure, like whatever you can do to to stimulate that opportunity 100%, you need to continue to try to nourish that. Yeah. You know, but when you don't have, you know, like I do a lot of off-market, you know, deals, right? You know, I might do 40 or 50 a a year and I can smell a bad deal. Yeah, Like I just know either, either the wholesaler that's moving the property or my investor that I'm bringing in or the lender that they have involved or the title company. I just see it all. And I've seen it all so often that I know when, we're not going to make this work. You right. don't have that foresight when you just get into the business, right? So everyone's an opportunity. You might hear him tell you the same story about that client. And he's like, well, I thought we could get it because, but he didn't have any foresight. He's like, hundred
0: percent. Yeah.
1: Like he doesn't know. Yeah. He's like, everything is an opportunity. I thought this is just what you do. You show a house, you lease it and you get paid. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a qualified tenant. Yeah. You know then it's, it is, that's how it's supposed to be. But you would know that like pretty quick into the deal. Like, okay, this is going to be a problem. Right. You know, the only thing I'm going to tell you is I will, I can send you properties over 30 days and you've got to have, you know, three times the deposit. Then I'll make some phone calls for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like create an opportunity. like, Hey, I'll solve your problem, but I know right now what it's going to take to solve. And if you can do this, I'll make it happen. If you can't, I, I can't spend the time trying to figure it out.
0: Sure. Um, last question. I know we're running out of time a little bit, but for let's just talk about on the positive for an investor looking to purchase something. Um, what's what's the best play right now for an investor? Like, what, is it go buy a rental property? Is it flip something? Doesn't it doesn't matter. It's all the same.
1: I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I, you know, if you're going to buy a flip and that's your cash flow directive today then you need to make sure your ARV is going to qualify
0: it which I mean, is tougher to do right now right
1: uh no you just yeah you just adjust it right i'm not going to inflate it you know based on 90 days from now Well, it's,
0: it's harder to win it,
1: uh, uh, they they're coming down on prices i get okay. repeat deals constantly that i would buy if i were in the right place to do it but i've already maxed out my line of credit so sure. I, i'm good right now there's still the opportunity. But if you're asking me as an investor, I would always point people, if they want to build net worth, you don't build net worth flipping houses. It's not possible. The wealthiest people in real estate, none of them flip houses, none of them. If you want to build net worth, you need to buy and hold. I'm just telling you as clean as I can possibly say it. You want to build net worth, you've got to be able to hold the property. The simplest way I can tell you is you lose your money when you sell property. The opportunity is gone. You know, you had something that's making money on its own and now you dropped it and yeah. now, you, now that's gone. You know, you just, you just gave away your income just for a, 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 a blip today. Right. So that's, that's the quick answer.
0: Okay, okay. cool. Well, I think that was a good one. Um, especially being that we didn't really have any notes for this. So I think it turned out pretty good. I appreciate everyone that watched, make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, do all that good stuff. And then Sean, you got something to sell the people.
1: Uh yeah it's what I always share. Like I'm I'm a I coach, I teach, I help agents grow their business. It's probably my my greatest passion that I spend most of my energy doing. You know, I enjoy working with investors, but ultimately I'm looking to build people that want to do and duplicate a lot of the things that I've done successfully. So I'm looking to continue to add agents to my group.
0: Yeah, so um as always we'll drop the link. Make sure to check it out if you're interested in joining our team. Um pretty easy. Just fill out the form and then we'll get you in touch. You can always hop into our weekly meetings. Um, and then also if you're an agent out there, uh, check out Premier Turbo Team. It's a way to get paid on your loan referrals. Basically right now you can pay $200 and then you can become a fran- franchise franchisee. How do you? Yeah. Franchisee. Franchisee. And, um, basically they're able to pay you any, I think it's five to $600 per transaction on your referral. So that first deal you'll be making money. Um, so it's a really cool deal. I'll leave that link as well. Check it out. And again, make sure to like subscribe,
2: share, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you.